well know if you've been with us on recent weeks that we're working our way through the lives of Elijah and Elisha. And uh, we've spent some recent weeks looking at Elisha and various occurrences in his life. And uh, we get now to this uh, passage in 2 Kings chapter 4, which is where we've got to this morning. Chapter 4 of 2 Kings, verse 38. And we'll read a few verses together. To 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 38. Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in that region. While the company of the prophets was meeting with him, he said to his servant, Put on a large pot and cook some stew for these men. One of them went out into the fields to gather herbs and found a wild vine. He gathered some of its gourds and filled the fold of his cloak. When he returned, he cut them up into the pot of stew, though no one knew what they were. The stew was poured out for the men, but as they began to eat it, they cried out, Oh man of God, there is death in the pot! And they could not eat it. Elisha said, Get some flour. He put it into the pot and said, Serve it to the people to eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Quite an appropriate passage, having talked about lunch today at Stephen Chris's house. <laughs> I'm sure it might. Steve's not cooking. It's okay, you won't need to take flour. All is, all is well. Let me, uh, let me ask you a question, which is this. If I gave you a choice this morning, if I was to give you a choice between going on, let's say, a three-week Mediterranean cruise at the height of the British winter, which is not the best weather knocking around. So if I gave you a choice on a three-week cruise on a luxury cruise ship, we're not just talking like easy cruise here. We're talking the ultimate pinnacle cruise liner you can imagine. All expenses paid, all your meals, all your drinks. You know, there's going to be wonderful food served, wonderful entertainment. Matt's going to be singing some of his own songs on the cruise as well. And, uh, you know, your children will be taken care of if you've got kids. I I can offer you a three-week, all-expenses-paid break like that. Or, or instead, you could leave on the next Royal Navy battleship, leaving to go to a war zone somewhere. Which one would you choose? Which one would you choose, I wonder? You can answer if you wish. Some of you girls are thinking, well, actually, the Royal Navy battleship. I mean, that sounds, that sounds quite nice. <laughs> if you would rather know... Let's move on quickly. If you would rather know more of God's grace in your life, or you would rather just stay as you are, which would you choose? See, our, our cruise liner will go to lovely places and you'll be entertained and have a wonderful time. Very much challenge there. Whereas if you went on a battleship, there will be challenges and probably battles to, to fight and to overcome. And it's interesting because in our lives as Christians, if we would rather know more of God's grace in our lives, then probably we're going to have some challenging, if not very difficult, situations to overcome. 
You see, God didn't promise us an easy life when we became a Christian. If you became a Christian and someone said to you, listen, if you give your life to Jesus, all your problems will go, everything will be easy for the rest of your life, they lied to you. Because that's not what God says to us. But what God does say to us very, very clearly in his words is that A, he promises to be with us, and secondly, he says that his grace is sufficient for us. So James 1, for example, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Or maybe 1 Peter 1, verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though for now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Well, if you're not convinced yet, how about 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9? This is Paul speaking, he says, But he said to me, talking of the Lord, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. God's word is very clear to us. So why does God test us? Well, we saw it in that one Peter passage, didn't we? So that our faith may be proved genuine, and we may learn to trust God more. It's so that we can experience his grace, and in turn, pass it on to others. You see, it's God's grace that we need. So how does all this apply to Elisha, you may say? Well, God was bringing him into another sticky situation where he would have to trust God, but also where he would be the bringer of God's grace to others as well. And in fact, both Elisha and the company of prophets learnt something at dinner time. And I'm trusting that we will learn something this morning as we look at this passage together for a few moments. So let's pray, and then we'll have a look and see what God has for us, okay? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your word to us. We thank you that so often, Lord, you speak to us. It seems we can just open your word and you speak to us time and time again. And so we pray now this morning, Lord Jesus, you would speak to us, please, from this passage. I pray, Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher. Apply the words uh, of this passage to our lives. Apply your truths, our gods, that we might learn something of you, something more of you this morning, that we might meet with you in your words. You might bless us and do us good. We ask it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What I'm going to do is just work our way through the passage and pick out some verses and look at uh, what the passage has for us. And we find then in verse 38 that Elisha returns. Dash, is that ringing a bit? Do you want to turn it down maybe a little bit? Elisha returns. Well, we, we see that earlier in the passage he'd been away and uh, he'd been on, on a, if you like, a ministry trip and now, now he's back. He's back uh, to, to where, he, where he is with the company of prophets. And I guess you may know how it feels after you've been away on a tiring trip. Maybe a maybe a business trip, and you've, you've been away for a few days or a few weeks perhaps, probably all you want to do is get home, put your feet up, have a good meal, 
uh, hang out with your friends or your husband or wife, have a glass of wine maybe, just relax. Maybe get out your favourite book or the newspaper and, and just put your feet up for a bit and just sort of recuperate and replenish because you know, these sort of trips can be exhausting and hard work, can't they? And you come back and think, oh, I've had it, I'm worn out. And you just need some, some time. Well, Elisha got back and there was a famine. Now, sometimes you'll find yourself in challenging situations and it doesn't mean necessarily that God is judging you. Sometimes we think, oh, what have I done? What wrong? Has God left me? But rather, often challenging situations, or as the Bible calls them, trials, actually mean that God is testing us or using those circumstances perhaps to test us. It doesn't mean that God's left us, but rather he's looking to grow us. And so Elisha gets back and he gets to Gilgal and there's a famine. I mean, it's not an easy situation to come back into, is it? You know, he'd want to get back from his ministry trip, relax for a bit, hang out with his friends. Uh, but, but no, he gets back and there's famine. And we find that Elisha doesn't complain, doesn't moan, but he just gets on with the job. He gets on with what God has called him to do. He teaches the company of prophets. And as well as being concerned for their spiritual welfare, he's concerned for their physical needs. And uh, he, he tells his servants to go make some stew because he realises that these guys need to eat. Interesting, isn't it? Even uh, Jesus, some years later, was concerned for people's physical needs as he was concerned for their spiritual needs. And uh, we're called, aren't we, to bring good news to the poor. And often that's a very practical uh, thing for us to do. And even when Jesus had a big crowd, he's often said to his disciples, listen guys, big crowd, you need to feed them. And that was a growth opportunity for his disciples. And so, as Jesus was concerned for the physical well-being, so Elisha is, and says to his servant, listen, go make some stew. Well, in verse 39, we see that one of the student prophets thought that they knew best. And they added something to the stew. Maybe they'd had some of Gehazi's cooking before. Maybe they knew what his stew was like. Maybe they thought, listen, I've had his stew before. It wasn't great last time. He's probably not going to be good this time. He hasn't been on the Jamie Oliver course. He hasn't got Delia's quick guide to stew. So we need to do something to, to make it taste good. And so one of the student prophets goes off to try and find something to add into the mix. And we see that he acts independently. He acted without the authorisation of Elisha. Bad move. Not a good idea. They should have been acting together. He should have, he should have checked out what he wanted to do first. He should have been acting as part of the team. You see, football teams have to act together, don't they? Under the guidance of a coach or a captain. Maybe I'll send these notes to a nearby team. Hey, but we got a goal yesterday, didn't we? Oh, come on, there's more than that. We haven't had a goal in a long time. We got a goal yesterday against, against Manchester United, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> was it good enough, was it? <laughs> we allowed you to win. You need the points. He said, just as football teams work together, or need to work together to win, so do we as Christians. For us to move forward as a church into all that God has for us, we need to be acting together, don't we? Pulling in the same direction is another way of putting it. Yes, it's important 
to find out what God has for us individually. But then we need to work that out in the context of the local church. And then similarly, for us as a local church, we're part of a wider family of churches called New Frontiers. So we bring what we have and work out our vision of what God has given to us in the context of being part of a family together. A family on a mission together, as we sometimes say. You see, it's not that somehow we all have to conform, because that will be awful and very boring. But rather, there is a security and an opportunity that comes from working together. One of the really early prophetic words to us as a movement, us as a family of churches, was this. You can do more together than you can apart. You can do more together than you can apart. And that prophetic word, uh, knowing that God has spoken that, that to us, and also seeing the outworking of that time and time again around the world, is one of the things that holds us together. We know that we can do more together than we can apart. But as well as it being true for us as a church, let me just track back a second and talk about us as individual Christians. We as individuals can do more together than we can apart. See, the New Testament has no thought of the lone Christian just going through life as a Christian on their own without any relationship and linkage to a, to a body of people. We talked earlier, didn't we, as we welcomed our friends into membership this morning, we talked about how the Bible speaks of being saved and added. And it's so true. In the New Testament, when someone became a Christian, immediately they were added to the local church, a local expression of Christ's body on earth. Immediately they were joined to something, or to be more accurate, they were joined to one another. Do you realise that? Those of us, those who became members of Jubilee Church this morning, were, you've been joined to us, and, and us to you. Paul says in Romans 12, verse 4, he says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. That's quite a descriptive phrase, isn't it? It's not just, oh, I've signed up on a bit of a club, you know, like a record club or something, or a gym, I've just sort of signed up on a bit of paper, but rather we belong to one another. So before we move on, let me ask you, are you joint? Are you on the team? Are you playing your part? Or are you just sort of coming to us on a Sunday and sort of sitting in and looking in and thinking, well, that's great, but I'm not sure if I want to be part of it yet. Listen, it's right that uh, in, in today's age that you, you make sure that you join the right local church because there are different expressions of Christ's body. Even across the city, we talked earlier about carols in the city that we're going to be part of this week. And we're working with, I think it's 13 or 14 local churches uh, across the city doing something together, which is great. And I'm looking forward to it. Make sure you come on Thursday, half six, in the marketplace. Um, but there are lots of local churches. Uh, I have different flavours and slightly different expressions. It is important that you, that you get stuck into the right one. And it, yes, it's right that maybe for a few weeks you think, oh, I just need to see if this is the right place and hear from God on it. But listen, don't let that go on for too long. Let me urge you, find the place where God has for you and then get stuck in and serve and be part of the body of Christ in that place. Because as you do that, that God shapes you. It's as, you, you know, as you're part of something together that God can shape you and grow you and God blesses you as a result of it. 
but also you can bring what God has given you to bear and to, to bring fruit in a, in a wider setting as well. The church isn't God's afterthought, friends, but rather that the church is God's great plan to affect this world with the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's make sure we play our part well in it. This passage also talks about leadership. They got into this mess because one of the student prophets thought they knew better and just went off and did their own thing. Now, I realised as I was preparing this this week that I haven't often taught on leadership. And uh, maybe I should in the new year. I think I probably will, having looked at this uh, during the week. But the Bible places a really high value on leadership. We're told what to expect from our leaders, what they should look like, not, I mean, in dress, but in, in character, how they should live. We're told to submit to their authority, to pray for them, to support them in their work. The Bible talks a lot about leadership. Now, for a number of years, a few years ago, I served each year at an annual Bible camp that we ran together as a family of churches. Maybe some of you went, it's called Stonely. And uh, in the end, it grew to a huge thing, 25,000 plus people, massive events uh, down in Coventry. And uh, I had a team of 100 people or more uh, working for me during the weeks. And there was a particular area of the site and, and life that I was responsible for. And I, I had this team. And um, one of the things that I enjoyed the most about serving in those weeks was that whilst it was really clear who was working for me and who my team was and what their responsibilities were, what they had to do, it was also really clear who I was responsible to. And I knew it and they knew it and so did the team and there wasn't any ambiguity, it was just really clear. And you know what? I loved it. Because in that really clear structure, it gave me real freedom and yet I knew I was part of something bigger. I wasn't out on my own, but rather I was part of a bigger team. And, and I, I knew you know, my place in that, I knew how I could serve. And it just worked really well. Now, I've worked in other situations where those, those lines of communication, if you like, have been more muddled and haven't been as clear. And I have to say, it hasn't been as much fun. Because it's messier. Because if, if you know, you know where, where you are in things and you, you know sort of uh, how the situation is, then that gives you some real clarity. But it also gives you real freedom and uh, real accountability. Uh, but it's a great way to serve like that. And it's interesting, the guy that I worked for uh, during those weeks, subsequently on some different events and different occasions, almost the roles have been reversed and uh, uh, he's worked for me. And he's had a team and I've been overseeing him. And some other events, we've worked together on a similar level. And, and it's a testimony to his maturity, actually, uh, that he can sort of switch roles and switch in different functions depending uh, on the occasion and, and what the role requires and where he sits in it. And uh, my friend Phil, who needs honouring for such things, is a, a great guy to work with over many years. But, you know, being clear about how things uh, were and that he was leading me just gave me real freedom and real security. And the same is true in a local church because God gives leaders and those leaders are to provide security but also they're to provide space 
for everyone to flourish in what God has given me. You see, it's not a repressing thing, it's a releasing thing. God has given leaders to the church to serve and to lead. So Peter writes, doesn't he, in his letter in 1 Peter 5, he says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not being greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Really clear, isn't it? You see, it's not that also that we should somehow expect our leaders to do all the work of ministry. Now, the model of, oh, we pay the pastor, so I guess he can do all the work of stuff in the church and all the ministry, and we can just sit back and take it easy. Well, that's actually still quite a common one. But it's not a biblical model. It's not biblical. The biblical instruction to leaders is, is listen, it's to train and prepare the church to serve and get involved. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. He says in Ephesians 4, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. Why? He goes on. So the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, I guess that's my job description, isn't it? To prepare God's people for works of service. And uh, for us as leaders, it's to do that. Well, for that to work, two things need to happen. I guess, firstly, leaders need to lead and prepare God's people for works of service. And then secondly, God's people need to be willing to be prepared for works of service and then to carry those works of service out. Does that make sense? I guess it's two sides of the same coin, really. Those two things need to happen. So, actually, we've all got responsibilities before God in us. All of us have. And uh, the Bible makes it clear as well that uh, for those of us who are leaders, the the stakes are a bit higher and uh, God's going to you know, look at our lives and see how we did on, on those he entrusted to us and what he's asked us to do. So it's, it's not a, something we sort of leap into lightly. We've got responsibilities in us. But they're twofold. And uh, one of the things that I love also being part of a wider family of churches in the shape of New Frontiers is that you know, I don't feel that I'm on my own in this because there's a, a team that serve us as a region and there's others who serve the churches in the UK and, and wider. And, uh, you know, as things come up, and inevitably they do, you know, I've got other people that I can say, listen, we, we haven't come across this before. Can you help us? Or, you know, we, we're not sure, maybe, as elders, what to do in this situation. Have, have you come across this before? Can you help us in this area? And it provides great security. And I, I know that I've got one or two people particularly you know, apart from John and Matt, who are my fellow elders, I've got other people outside the church who I know that if I go off the rails, which I'm hoping won't happen, but if it were to happen, stop smirking some of you, then I know that there are others who take their responsibility in God very seriously and will come alongside me and say, in a loving pastoral way, 
What are you doing? <laughs> What's happening? And so I've got some accountability there. And that, that's just a really safe place to be. I've met other pastors, other leaders, who, who don't have that relational network. And I just don't know how they can do it. I really don't. I don't know how they can do it. And for many of them, they look into uh, something like, like we have and other networks like us. And they, and they say to me, I, I wish we had something like that. They may have some hierarchical structure, but there isn't the, the love and the relationship there. Well, I think it's a great privilege for us to be part of a family of churches like that because I think it provides great security and great opportunity uh, for us. So I want to urge us to, to make sure that we're carrying out our responsibilities before God to do all we can to see God's church flourish. But let's go back to Elisha before we finish. Because we see in verse 39, we're still there, that when it came to these harmful gourds, anyone know what a gourd is? I had to look it up this way. I didn't know what a gourd was. So get my dictionary down. A gourd, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, which is the definitive answer on these things, is a large fleshy fruit with a hard skin. A large fleshy fruit with a hard skin. So when it came to these harmful, large, fleshy fruits with hard skin, no one knew what they were. And there is no knowledge of them. Well, the same has to be said for me and cooking as well. I can do tuna pasta and uh, on a good day, chicken fajitas. That's probably about it, really. Uh, so there's no great knowledge of cooking in my life either. But listen, it does speak to us because as Christians, we've got to be in the world, relating to it, but not of it. And I've come across Christians over the years who just seem to think that once they get saved, all they need to do is somehow sit back and wait for Jesus to return and don't need to engage in the world around them. That's not what the Bible says. We need to be in the world but not of it. So we've got a wonderful life to live now, a wonderful God to worship, great opportunities to serve him and honour him even now, before we get to heaven or before Jesus Return. So let's make sure we do. So in verse 14, we need to rush on. They realised that the stew was harmful. It's interesting they tasted it and go, ah, man of God, there's something, I won't really quote it exactly. They tasted it and cried out, oh man of God, there is death in the pot. And no one's ever said that of my cooking. It's not the best, but no one's ever come around and gone, ah, there's death in the fajitas or something. But obviously they tasted this and it was not good. They realised there was something harmful in the stew. God has given us discernment when it comes to taste. Whether something is good or whether it's bad. You can generally taste it, can't you? If you taste some milk that's gone off, you know it. It tastes sour, it doesn't taste good. They realised that the stew was harmful because of the discernment that God had given them in taste. But the same is true spiritually. God has given us spiritual discernment truth as well. We might be able to discern what is best and pure, as Paul puts it in letters to the Philippians. God has given us his Holy Spirit to help us discern. So let's be listening to his voice. Let's be allowing him to place that check or caution on situations or maybe people or different things that we come up against. If we feel the Holy Spirit speaking to us, then let's make sure we respond to that well. Let's make sure we use the gift of discernment that God has given to us and the Holy Spirit prompts us. So verse 41, Elisha orders flour to be poured into the pot. There's nothing clever about the flour. 
He acted on God's authority and the steward, the Bible says, was healed. Now, I can imagine Elisha thinking, I don't know much about cooking, but I do know that flour doesn't solve the problem of poisonous gourds. And if I'd been in life, I probably would have thought, well, God, you might have spoken about flour, but hey, that just doesn't make any sense. Should we not be putting another herb in maybe to correct that or maybe trying to fish them out perhaps? Or should we not just start again? But rather, Elisha just did what he was told. Which is a good lesson to learn, isn't it, really, when God speaks to us. (laughs) Because no matter how foolish God's instructions may seem, we need to carry them out. There are lots of examples in the Bible of God telling people to do seemingly daft things, but on his instructions, wonderful miracles happen. So Mark 8, for example... Uh, Jesus comes across a guy who is blind. Some people bring in this blind man and he begs Jesus to, uh, to touch him to heal him. So, what does Jesus do? Well, I don't think the blind man had foreseen this one coming. Because what Jesus does, and we see it in Mark 8, verse 22 to 25, when he had spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on them, Jesus asks, do you see anything? He looks up and says, I see people, they look like trees walking around. And then Jesus puts his hand on his eyes again and he's healed. So Jesus spits on this guy, basically. I mean, he basically goes up goes, and spits on him. I mean, that's just pretty vulgar, isn't it, really? But by doing that, we see that this guy's healed. I mean, how about Moses and Aaron in the Old Testament? So, you know, Moses, gets, uh, Moses and Aaron have got a staff Aaron gets his staff and chucks it down, becomes a snake. I mean, I can imagine Aaron thinking, look, you lost it now, Moses. Okay, this is my walking stick. I've been many miles with this. It's about as solid wood as you can get. It's not going to turn into anything. But he does it, and it turns into a snake. And then when the other magicians do that, at Pharaoh's court, Aaron's snake, staff, snake, staff thing, sort of eats them all up. You think, well, this is just weird. But God's demonstrating his power. If Aaron had said, no, sorry Moses, you've lost it this time. You haven't taken your tablets this morning. There's no way I'm doing that. We wouldn't have seen God's power at work in that situation. If God asks us to do something, then, friends, we need to respond well. Even if we think, that's just just weird, it's a bit daft. I mean, if it's particularly daft and weird, you might want to check it out with someone first. Maybe a, a good Christian friend or someone you trust. But let's be responsive to God. I think the danger for us is this. We can become so safe, listen, we can become so safe that we don't give God any space to break in. We can think we've got it all so sewn up that there isn't any space for God to break in and the Holy Spirit to work wonderful miracles. So let's make sure we don't play it so safe that we somehow push God out of the box. Because I believe God does want to do wonderful things amongst us. Miracles even. But we need to be trusting him when he speaks to us in order to see it. Amen? Okay, let's wrap up. So God teaches us, he moulds us by putting us in situations where we have to rely on him. Have to rely on his grace. Guys, that's how we grow. That's how we grow in God. By relying on his grace in difficult, challenging situations. Be they trials that God sends our way, or be they occurrences that happen just because we live in the world, 
And God wants to use them to grow us and to help us trust him more. That's how we grow in him. So we need to get all the grace that we can and then we need to give it away. Because a hurting world needs God's grace. Elisha was able to be a conduit, if you like, a provider of God's grace to others. And that's pretty much what we're called to be too. A giver of God's grace to others. Part of our vision as a church is to love one another, which love God, firstly, and to love one another and to love those who don't know Jesus yet, as well as reach the nations. To loving those who don't know Jesus, yeah, that's like giving grace away, giving God's love away, demonstrating it to people. So how do we do it? Well, we need to look for opportunities to serve, look for opportunities to bless Let's make sure too that we're acting under authority correctly, we're acting as a team, we're united in moving forward together because the strength that that brings us, the opportunities that that brings us and the blessing that God will give as a result. Let's remember too that sometimes God may ask us to do things that seem foolish. But that's not our problem. It's his. But as we obey in those opportune moments. Maybe that will be the time when God breaks in, or God breaks through, and we see his power at work afresh. Why don't we stand, and uh, the band can come up, we're going to sing, I'm going to pray, and uh, then in a moment, just after we've, as we sing, we respond in a second, (coughs) I was... uh, John said to me a little earlier, you know, you're going to do ministry after this morning's preach. And I thought, I don't know actually. But even as, I, as I've been speaking uh, this morning, it's that phrase talking about uh, we're needing to get all the grace we can and then give it away. Because it's in those challenging situations that God grows us. I'd like to pray this morning for any of you who feel that you're in one of those challenging situations. Whatever it might be, whether it's a, it's a trial or a test that's come your way, or whether it's, it's just part of being in the world and living life, stuff happens. Because that's just how it is sometimes. And in a moment, though, yeah, I'd like, uh, if, if you think, yeah, that's, that's me this morning, I'd, then I'd love to pray for you and, ask, and pray that you would know God's grace and that He would provide all that you need in that situation. Amen. Let me pray, and uh, Wes is going to lead us in one song, and then we can respond to God together. Okay. Lord Jesus, thank you once again for your word to us. Thank you for all that we're learning from the lives of Elijah and Elisha, all that we've learned this morning. So Lord, I pray for each of us that uh, we would know your grace in every situation we find ourselves in. Even if it might be we're tired and exhausted, like Elisha would have been having returned from his trip. Lord, even in that situation, we can rely on you and we know that you'll come through. So I pray for any who may uh, just relate to that this morning, Lord Jesus, that you'd meet with them afresh. Father, I pray that we would do all we can to get all the grace we need from you and then give it away to a hurting world around us. Lord, teach us what it is more and more to love you and then love one another and love those who don't know you yet. Help us with those things. Give us opportunities to serve. Give us opportunities to bless. Help us to act together in unity. We might see your church 
move forward. We might see this city impacted with the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we we long for it. Lord, we long to see uh, your kingdom established. We long to see your church built. And we know you've promised you're going to build your church. And we thank you that you've given us a part to play in it too. And so, Lord, help us now if we need to respond to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just as we sing, as Wes leads us with the bands, if you'd like us to pray for you this morning, then I want you to come forward and stand here in the front with us. And uh, if you're thinking, yeah, you know, I'm just in one of those situations. Maybe you feel like Elisha did. He may have come back from his trip exhausted. And you think, I've got nothing more to give. I'm all worn out. I've had it. And then yet another situation comes. And you think, I just don't know how I'm going to respond now. If that's you this morning, I'd love to pray for you that you would know God's grace in that situation and that he would come to you, provide all you need. Because that's what he's promised to do, friends. That's what he's promised to do, even this morning, even in this place. So let's sing and respond to God together.